Hey, you're listening to Burst Your Bubble. I'm Josh and I've got Kyler here with me. We're here to bring you the sharpest sports takes. Today we have a special episode for Kyler's birthday. Uh, Shout out to him, he's feeling 22. Insert Taylor Swift music here. Uh, Then we're going to finish up the NFL draft and check in on our favorite quarterback free agent, Jameis Winston. Then we recap episode 3 and 4 of the Last Dance Michael Jordan documentary. How did Rodman get the approval to go to Vegas anyway? Then we end with an electric Game 4 of the 2016 NBA Finals. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Burst Your Bubble. Remember to rate, review, and continue to share us with your friends or literally anyone you know. Thanks for listening, and remember, no hard feelings because more than likely, one of us will burst your bubble. Kyler, what an electric evening. Uh, Obviously, the Jordan Doc came on tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit uh, here in a second, but uh, first I, I got to get out today a little bit and I got to uh, go to the golf course, hit the sticks today. Nice. Yeah. Me and Kennedy also played around in the yard. I brought the club out and she, she didn't actually swing it at the ball anytime, but uh, she, we were out there for probably 30, 45 minutes and she carried around the, the ball in the club the whole time, but never actually got a swing in. Um, how many times did you uh, get the ball or hit the ball, Josh? How, what was your score today? Uh, so we actually, so the day got thrown into a huge mess. Uh, there were no carts. So I, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a lazy guy most of the time when it comes to that stuff. So, uh, definitely didn't like the day having to walk the course. Usually I'm a, a golf cart kind of guy, but, uh, I, I really, I think, uh, we only did nine holes today because we were walking and it was kind of hot. I shot, uh, I think it was 10 over through nine. So, uh, obviously not a good day. Um, but it could have been worse. Could have been worse. I had, uh, I think three or four pars today. So, uh, it could have been worse. I, I struggled getting off the tee box today, man. I'm going to, so I've got an idea on how I'm going to fix it. Hear me out. I'm going to, I'm going to record my swing off the tee box and I'm just going to post it on Twitter and tell Tiger Woods and Phil to fix it. Hey, um, Max Homa, he's our guy. He liked our tweet. He'll, uh, he, he does that for a living. He roasts, tweet, roasts swings for a living on Twitter. Well, then I'll send it to Max and get him started on it because uh, somebody's got to help me fix it. You get, you know, my, yeah, irons, my irons today, my chip shot were perfect, but it's just getting off the, getting off the tee box. Josh, I'm your guy. I can help you. And for all you golf snobs, I know, I know it's not score. You don't go and score or you don't go and score a round of – 80, 89 like Josh did today. You shoot it. Yeah, I understand. You're you're an asshole. But uh, Josh, I'm definitely the guy to help you with your swing. Um, let's get out there as soon as this is, as soon as all this is lifted. Let's get out there. I, you know what, Josh? Send me a video tonight. I've got you fixed by tomorrow morning. Um, you're gonna break seventy. You're gonna shoot a sixty-eight next time you go play. So on my lunch break tomorrow, I'll just go out to the golf course or go to the driving range. I'll set up a couple of videos and you can start helping me fix it because I've got to get it better. Hey, either me or Max, whichever responds first. So we also need to start uh, challenging uh, other uh, podcasts or other teams to uh, to some golf tournaments, a couple scrambles, best ball. Four play, where are you at? Bring it on. Burst your bubble's ready. Don't mean to burst your bubble, but we're probably going to win. The sports animal? Hey, uh, we want smoke on the course tonight. If you If you think you can have it, you can't. You cannot handle us, I promise you. On the golf course, on the basketball court, anywhere you want it, Burster Bubbles, the number one athletic podcast in America. Some say I'm the Michael Jordan and you're the Scottie Pippen of 
golfing podcast tandems. You know, I've actually heard that twice already. One's for me and one's from you. Yeah, I was about to say. I don't. I <laughs> well, I guess we can go ahead and get into it. Uh, the Jordan Doc was on. First thoughts. Dude, I loved it. I mean, the first episode was all about Rodman. Um, Josh, I'm just going to set this up a little bit. So it's in the middle of the season. Um, the second best player on the defending championship team is holding out. It's the middle of January. He decided to come back only because he was about to start getting fined. Um, had nothing to do with a settlement of the contract dispute. Nothing of He just didn't want to give, give the team back any money. Um, and then the third best player says, I need a vacation. I'm going to Vegas for 48 hours. Um, that was a little shocking. Um, and it was even more shocking how okay with it everyone was. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? I thought that it, it was so funny because, you know, I can just picture Michael Jordan having to run across Vegas finding Dennis Rodman and pulling him out by his nose ring saying, come on, what the hell are you doing? But before we leave, let's go ahead and, uh, just get a little bit of good time in. I don't, you know, I kind of talked about it. I tend to agree. I don't think that uh, that MJ was there just to snag uh, snag Rodman and, and get the hell out. There, uh, there's probably a little bit more to the story. Yeah, it was uh, at the end of the 48 hours. You know, another another you know notch in Jordan's belt, just being a very unselfish unselfish teammate. You know, donating his time to go to Vegas to pick up Dennis Rodman and no other reason, only to go there and pick him up. Well, and you know, uh, I was listening to someone break down the episode afterward, and they were talking about how uh, after Dennis or Rodman got back from Vegas, he thought he needed a staycation out or in Chicago. So uh, MJ had to go over to his apartment, which was literally across the street, and pick him up. And now we know that, uh, you know, MJ said, I wouldn't say what was in his bed, but uh, it's pretty common knowledge now that that was Carmen Electra. Uh, <laughs> so Dennis, shout out to my boy <laughs> Rodman on that. Yeah, two biggest winners here, obviously. Dennis Rodman had Car Carmen Electra and Madonna, um, basically in about two-year span, three-year span. Pretty big on his part. Uh, the biggest winner here, I think it's Miller Lite. Um, every game, there's a Miller Lite player of the game. Um, great spotlight there. And a shot of him when he's in Vegas drinking a Miller Lite, pretty much finishing it, hopping on a motorcycle. One of his friends almost drives a bike straight into a parked car, and then they all speed off into traffic. That was absolutely beautiful. And I've, I've been a huge fan of the Rodman story for so long. Uh, going Oklahoma, Southeastern, working in the fields, basically living on the street for a couple of years. I mean, this guy has the story in it. If you come from a small town or a, a place of poverty and you see Dennis Rodman's story, it gives you a little bit of hope and a little bit of, you know, I can actually make something of myself. I can do this if I just push hard enough. Of course, it helps when you have a six or eight inch growth spurt, whatever it was, over that two year period. But uh, it, it gives a lot of hope, and I, I love Dennis's story. And so, all the crazy things, the the persona that he created uh, all on the court, dyeing his hair all the different colors, uh, being the worm, being the defensive monster that everyone knows. Uh, I I couldn't love Rodman's character anymore. So I actually have some insight on this. Um, my golf coach was a tennis player at the University of Southeast or Southeastern Oklahoma State University in Durant. Um, the adjoining adjoining years that Rodman was there, obviously Rodman got there as a 21 year old freshman, so he was three years his uh, three years his elder. 
But uh, he said all athletes basically stayed in the same hall. So they knew of each other really well, and they actually knew each other. Um, in the first two years, Robman's basketball fundamentals were really raw, not really lacking. He still averaged, you know, close to 20 points, I think over 20 points. But it was all layups. It was all layups and putbacks. He could never catch a ball on the block. He never dunked it. Um, but his athleticism was there. I mean, he could throw a football 70 yards. He could run 100 meters in 11 seconds flat. He would regularly beat Greg and the rest of the tennis players in ping pong um, in the dorm lobby. Um, but he said the main thing his first two years was his maturity. Um, not necessarily he would be immature, but in the sense that while he was 21 or 22, he acted as if he was a true 18-year-old freshman. And by the time he was a junior, 23, 24 years old, playing against you know actual 19, 20-year-olds, he was dominating. I think, his, I think his stats his junior year were 27 points and 17 rebounds. And that's what got him drafted in the second round out of Southeastern. And it's not every day somebody from Southeastern University in Durant, Oklahoma, gets drafted to the NBA. And then to have the story that he did, the come up that he did, it's one of those, uh, one of those unbelievable stories. And I just love the mentality, just beating up on people for, for years and getting to Chicago. And you, you heard him say it. Do you think if they take me off this, this team, the Bulls win? I don't think so. They needed me. And I think that's a huge testament to what he was and who he is as a player. Right. And, you know, I asked Greg that, too. He said, you know, he kind of enjoyed and he kind of thrived in the, you know, the big man on campus being the star basketball player. But it wasn't so much in the sense that he let it go to his head because it was all kind of new. He enjoyed the sense of being a part of something and being on a family aspect in Detroit. And, you know, once he got to San Antonio and realized, you know, it's not really about that and got to Chicago and saw it's more about the winning um, I think that's that's kind of what played into kind of, you know, the later years of Dennis Rodman. And he was actually – and he actually led the league in rebounding all three seasons he was in Chicago, which was a huge – I mean, everything he did on the defensive end and just the hustle plays more than anything, now I think is what really helped that Chicago team because you got to think just getting beaten up and getting beaten up and then to have someone with that much energy and that much fight back Someone, you know, that's not wanting to just lay down and take it. Uh, that helps your team so much more than, than someone can think. Yeah, when he pushed Pippen into the stands, um, you know, that was, that was a really telling moment about, you know, how Pippen was able to overcome that and able to bring in Rodman and, you know, accept that and overcome how much they really wanted to win and did, you know, whatever it took to win, even that meant bringing in the enemy. Yeah, and, and I like that they even went into uh, – um, his like the mental health side of it and and the different things uh, you know getting found with the rifle uh, mm -hmm. the different things because obviously you know there's a lot more that goes into this story and it's interesting to note all these things because as a normal person we just think oh you're making millions in the in the league you're a famous athlete a professional athlete you don't have to deal with these things that normal people do right and then he also said you know uh one of the players said that he enjoyed and would advocate going into the woods and, you know, just, you know, making your own food on the fire and sitting underneath the stars. And he kind of called him naive for that, but it was a simple mindedness, you know, the simple fact that, um, you know, something like that, something as simple as that, where you go clear your mind, um, not being able to do that, forgetting kind of that aspect and, you know, the, the therapy that brings, I think that that's kind of what led to a lot of that. And I just think it's so funny that 
he was allowed to go to Vegas on this vacation. Like you talk about, uh, Oh, what's the word that all the NBA players use? Kawhi Leonard's famous for it. Load management, load management. This man created load management. He said, Hey, I I need to get out of here for a little while. My legs hurt. My mind ain't right. I got to fix it. If somebody, if LeBron James said to the team, right. Or if Anthony Davis said to the team right now, Guys, I, I really just need to take a break. I got to go to uh, I got to go to Las Vegas for a little while. The no, that's exactly would... what I was getting at. Yeah, imagine Twitter today. Imagine that happening where a player. Imagine if we're in the middle of January last year and Clay Thompson just ends up in Vegas on a two day bender with Demi Lovato. Imagine how viral that would. That would be absolutely electric. Yeah, no one would let that man live it down. They would slaughter him on the in the media. There would be no way. And that just shows the difference of the time. But he, just like Jordan said in the first last week, all these people, it's just a cocaine circus. It's the coke yeah. circus. Rodman said, hey, I'm just going to go hit Vegas for a little while. I'll be back. Yeah, speaking of a coke circus, let's go ahead and move into the second episode um, about Phil Jackson. If you haven't read that book that they advertised, Maverick, that he um, helped co-wrote, co-write, Go go read it. It's, it talks about the cocaine uh, scandal in the 70s in the NBA, about how everyone's doing acid, about how he, a lot of drug talk in there about the NBA. Really uh, rele- relevatory, I think is the word. Um, but Phil Jackson, just a beautiful soul. Um, I'm not sure if I can add much more than the documentary did about how pure, loving, accepting of a person he was. Um, not um, just to understand the importance of mental health and strength for each individual person. Um, and the key word there is person. Uh, Robin said it best. He didn't view these guys as players. He viewed and loved them um, as people. Yeah. And, and like you said, there's not a lot that I can add either. It just, he's like that, that friend, that figure that you need in a life that, you know, is there to bring out the light in you to help you see the, the good side when things are not going, not going well. And the, and the documentary has done a good job of, of showing that side of Phil Jackson and what he meant to these players. Because that's a huge part of it, uh, not just being a coach, but being being that person for your team, being that model, that figure. Yeah. yeah and and uh, Jack McMullen was actually on Scott Van Pelt Sports Center. I was watching it just earlier. And she was telling a story about Shaq and Phil Jackson. And Shaq was telling Phil that yoga, he said, yoga don't, don't work for me, Phil. So I keep falling asleep. Phil smiled and he said, Shaq, that's because you're tired. And his ability, uh, you know, to really relate to the players and act as a true players coach in the moments, um, but still have the ability and the complete control of everything going on in his locker room and his team. Um, Notice when Dennis wanted to go to Vegas, Phil didn't ask Jerry Krause or Reinsdorf. Jordan and Phil decided the arrangements on that, them together. And they didn't ask, they didn't ask permission, you know, and they really didn't ask forgiveness. Uh, so the ability to do that and then at the end of games drop a play and say this is what we're running I mean Josh we could do a full episode on just his time in Puerto Rico what the hell was that yeah it was it was insane I I I don't get it but talking about Phil man he just does the things and he's the one who got Jordan to realize hey man your teammates are there to help you out you can pass the ball to someone and expect them to make a shot and rely on them a little bit more. Uh, you know, you did it the right way. You're doing it these ways. And Phil Jackson got Michael Jordan to, I mean, obviously to buy into that, to understand like, hey, 
you don't have to score 40, 35 points a game to to do this and to not win when it matters most. And, and Jordan bought into that. And that's all from Phil's – the way that he goes into those conversations, the kind of guy that he is. Yeah, those years with Tex Winters um, as an assistant, perfecting the triangle offense, uh, which Phil ran so smooth over the years, starting with Jordan, ending with Kobe, um, you know, with the center at the high post. To me, when Powell was catching the ball at the high post, him and Kobe running the two-man game, Derek Fisher on the wing, buying him down low, every pass and every cut was hard and meant something. Every possession was so important, you know, in these – 82 to 78 battles. Um, it was very refreshing to see, whereas today's offenses, you know, they're just designed to get the best three as quick as possible and to score 120, 130 points. And it's a track race. And it's very refreshing to see, you know, setting up an offense that, you know, every pass really means something. Yeah, and, and that's and that's the whole thing about Phil and, the, and everything that he's about was, okay, we're going to run this to perfection. We're going to get it right. We're going to have a – a great flowing offense, and he knew how to make those things work. And the kind of guy he is, he got the players to buy into that offense. That's the most important part. You, even Kobe, you know, with people can dog on him a little bit for not as get not getting as many assists. He wanted to shoot the basketball, but even he knew. And Phil Jackson got him to understand like the buy-in for your teammates is important. You are a superstar, but you have these people surrounding you. We put them there for a reason. Yeah, and the balls on Jerry Krause to double down on February 1st to say, again, in in case y'all forgot a couple months ago, Phil's not coming back. He's not – stop talking about him. Stop asking questions about him. He's he's gone after this year. Ask me some questions about me. Yeah, I'm tired of hearing about him. No one cares. This is my show. So, what about Jordan putting on weight? Man, in that game, in that series against the Pacers, the one that he lost, the um, the final championship series they won, he's scrawny, man. He looks like like a Lance Stevenson, like a like a young Clay Thompson out there. He's not he's not Michael Jordan. He's not big enough. I would agree. And I, in that that work ethic to put on that weight to make yourself a better player, that to me almost defines Michael Jordan. Like that, this is his dedication to winning basketball. Whatever I need to do to my body, whatever I need to do, I'm going to do it. I'm tired of getting beat so early. I'm tired of getting beat by these people. Uh, I have to change something. Yeah, Horace, I would say even whatever you say about Michael Jordan, double it for Horace Grant. That work ethic, that determination to never get beat up again in the post, it it was twice as much there for Horace Grant. Horace Grant's ready to see Bill Bill Lambert if he runs into him at at Publix today. He's going to beat the hell out of Bill Lambert at Walmart if he sees him. And and that, to me, is so beautiful is, you know, we talked about on on last week how uh, Jordan and Ainge were playing golf. But these guys, especially with Detroit, the hatred was there. The hatred is still there. They cannot stand each other. I I would love to set up a fundraiser for St. Jude's or Ronald McDonald's Foundation to get a five-on-five brawl with some of these guys. Jordan was having no part of that video of Isaiah Thomas. He didn't – Josh, (laughs) when he said, hey, do you want to see this – hey, do you want to see this video of what Isaiah Thomas – I don't give a damn what Isaiah Thomas said. Put that phone up. I don't want to see it. I don't care what he said. He's an idiot. He's not going to change my mind. And Isaiah Isaiah Thomas had no good words for Michael Jordan. 
No. It, I love the hatred. I, this is this is what I miss. Obviously, you know, I didn't get to see this part of it, but I, I miss the the good rivalries in sports. Like the obvious, like we've talked about. You know, there are some times where, okay, they might have gotten along a little bit better than what everyone says they did. But even today, LeBron James, Steph Curry, LeBron James, and Kawhi, those are legitimate rivalries, player-to-player levels. But at the same time, we still get that kind of understanding of they're both superstars and it's a world with media, so they try to be the best that they can. I miss someone going after their throat. That's the thing. Uh, Jordan has that killer mentality. He's he's the type of guy to kill you on the court and then you know talk talk really bad about you on, in the media and say that he hates you and say all the feelings are real and they are. Um, you know, whereas that's just not as common today. Um, we see Kawhi Leonard. He's very quiet. He's very reserved. I believe he he has some of that animosity towards players. That he he's kind of like Jordan. You know, he says you know we're competing and off the court I, we're competing too. I don't like you off the court because we're competing on it. It's just he's, he's more quiet, so we don't see that. Um, like, and that's something that I think LeBron James and Steph Curry, they just don't have. And I think that that's something that really does elevate Michael to a different level um, as far as a winner. As, I'm not sure if it really elevates his basketball in any sense besides his ability to win in, in the late moments. But I'll tell you someone that, that seems like they, they have that mentality uh, on the come up and – I'm not ready to crown him the best player or anything yet. Uh, and that's a conversation for a different day. But from the looks of it, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he has a little bit of that killer instinct where he doesn't really care about the things off the court. He's going to go in, get his business done, and and that's going to be the end of it. And, that, and there's not a lot of young guys in the NBA that you can even kind of attribute any of this to. And it's nowhere near the level that these guys had but he's one of the big stars that kind of have that mentality. I'd say Kevin Durant. Um, we haven't seen him lose since game six of – or game seven of the 2016 Western Conference Finals when Russell Westbrook turned the ball over um, and didn't even give the ball to Kevin Durant to get a shot off. So I would say um, in that sense, Kevin Durant hasn't, hasn't lost and in those big moments has stepped up and knocked down the big shot to win. So um, in that sense, I would say Kevin Durant has that kind of killer mindset and you know, off the court he's not too friendly with guys either. Um, part of that in due to players coming at him first and him having to kind of defend himself. But uh, I, would, I would kind of crown that to Kevin Durant in the meantime before uh, Giannis develops that jump shot a little more. Well, and I, I'm just saying the, the ability to want to step on your throat mm-hmm. in, and finishing out games like that, and, you know, in that final series back in – you know, whenever that turnover from Russ, you can put on whoever you want, but that entire team caved uh, to let that slip up. That that wasn't just one person. But like I said, Kevin Durant's come a long way. He stepped uh, on LeBron's throat the past two final series. He did. He definitely did. That same – that three-pointer in the same spot two years in a row. Yeah, I'm Josh, how excited are you for the next episodes? I can't wait. I'm I'm so excited. These Jordan Docs, uh, the the series episodes have given me something to look forward to on Sundays. The insight and the access that we have on some of these uh, tapes, it's it's amazing to think that we have this footage that's never come out until now. That's the that's the amazing part to me is how is how have we not seen this before? That video of of Rodman drinking that beer and hopping on the motorcycle. That's insane. 
of him, him and Carbon Electric and all the clubs. Like, how, how have we not seen any of that? Yeah, it's, we have Twitter. Like, how did, how did this, someone not post this on Twitter years ago? It's, it's been a crazy ride. I'm looking forward to the next episodes. Yeah, it was definitely a great weekend with the, uh, obviously, the Jordan doc we just talked about and the NFL draft. Um, you want to get into that or you want to talk about the NBA Finals first? Uh, we can go ahead and get into the draft, but before we do that, let me go ahead and uh, hit him with this ad read. Kyler, I know how much we both have loved what Anchor has given us as a podcasting platform. Ladies and gents, if you haven't heard of Anchor yet, you're missing out. Most importantly, it's free. Anchor gives you the ability to edit and upload your podcast directly from your phone to get anywhere you can get your podcast. Apple Music, Spotify, it'll be there. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listeners. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Yeah, I love uh, I love Anchor and what it's been able to do for us so far, man. But getting into getting into the draft here, you know, we talked about who our favorite or who we thought we won the first round overall all weekend who what team stood out to you the most with their draft and why mm, i would say what team overall the cardinals um i would say they won the draft isaiah simmons um basically their second round pick they landed deandre hopkins uh, which is pretty crazy still uh they landed a few great off or a couple of great offensive tackles um a couple of defensive backs and a defensive tackle that's really good and a real steal and eno benjamin at the running back position is really versatile um they're probably my overall winners for the – as far as a team-wise, as far as overall winner of the draft, it's got to be Drew Locke. Drew Locke securing K.J. Hamler and Jerry Judy, as well as a, a new center, the guy at LSU. Um, he has got to be the winner for the draft. Yeah, and definitely from a fantasy perspective as well, Drew Locke should be on everyone's board right now. Drew Locke is the guy after this draft. And if he can't make it work, that's on him and the coaching staff because he – they surrounding him with targets. They reunited him uh, with a couple of players that he, that he was with, whose numbers went down after he left. So Drew Locke is definitely going to be someone to watch out for uh, after this. Uh, and the Cardinals, they did have a really strong draft. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of getting me excited for what they're doing over there. Cliff Kingsbury's got a, a lot of good talent on that team, and Kyler Murray's getting set up well uh, with DeAndre Hopkins and the rest of that team over there. But uh, my winner for the, for the draft overall as a team uh, is going to be in a little bit of bias here is probably showing, but uh, I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens. They addressed the biggest need, uh, which was that linebacker position with Patrick Queen. I talked about it in the last episode. He's a huge, that was a huge steal for them uh, at that 28 spot. Uh, being able to pick up J.K. Dobbins. You know, we've got Mark Ingram and, uh, and Gus Edwards. Uh, over there in Dixon, but Dobbins is going to be someone who can come in and play with Ingram from the start, just like uh, Kamara and Ingram did back in New Orleans. I think this is going to be a great one-two punch for Lamar Jackson uh, in one of the best running offenses in the league. Uh, and then also getting to put uh, Devin Dubermay over there from Texas. It's going to give them a great – another good wide receiver over there. They address uh, the tackle position or the guard position on the offensive line. They just did a lot of the important addresses that the team need, added some quality depth. So uh, I, I'm definitely happy for the Ravens uh, through this draft. 
the AFC East really improved as a whole um, overall. Jared Stidham um, looks to be the starting quarterback week one for the Patriots unless something happens um, in the coming weeks uh, with Cam Newton. But it seems like the Patriots are pretty locked in on Jared Stidham. Uh, they did upgrade at wide receiver and a couple of offensive linemen. Um, you know, the Jets did as well. The Bills really did upgrade. They got a couple of nice uh, wide receivers, Gabriel Davis and Isaiah Hodgins. Um, also a great running back in Devin, uh, to complement Devin Singletary. Um, they also got Jake Fromm to back up, uh, back up Jack, Josh Allen. Um, what did you think the Bills did, Josh? Um, do you think it was better than what the Dolphins did in picking up Tua? Or uh, do you think Miami's going to surprise everyone and win that AFC East? Um, I don't think that they're going to – so I'll start over. I don't think it would surprise anyone if Miami comes out and wins that division now. Uh, I think Miami's on a lot of people's radar. So I don't think it would be much of a surprise. Um, but at the same time, we've learned from the Browns that changing a culture and turning it to winning football is not as easy as, you know, just putting talent on a football team. You you have to fully buy into what the coaches are doing. The coaches have to have a solid game plan. There's a lot more that goes into winning football and creating a winning culture than just adding talent. So – I actually think that the Bills are going to win this conference uh, or the division, sorry. Um, I, I do. I think that they're going to go out. I think that the Dolphins are probably going to have a good year. I think I've still got them at uh, seven wins. Um, but I think the Bills are going to be a nine or ten win team. I think all they did was add some some depth in positions. They added a, a great wide receiver and Stephon Diggs added another running back, which really sucks for me in the dynasty fantasy-wise because uh, Devin Singletary is my dude. But it's a great one-two punch for the offense. I think that they just added the correct pieces, and they're going to be able to play a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I've got my money on the boys in Buffalo. That's nice. I like, um, I like what the Bengals did, you know, obviously drafting Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. Uh, and they also got, you know, some depth in the linebacker position. But uh, – the big losers in this have to be Mitch Trubisky, uh, as well as Teddy Bridgewater and Christian McCaffrey. Um, the Panthers went seven for seven with defensive players, didn't get any weapons, um, and the Bears drafted um, only a tight end on the offensive side of the ball. So not a whole lot going to be happening there. As far as um, new talent coming in on that side of the ball, do you think they're going to be any better? Or do you think it's going to hurt them not going after some of this elite receiver talent in the draft this year? Um, I think that it definitely hurts the Bears. Uh, um, and Mitch Trubisky, well, what else sucks for him is bringing in Nick Foles. We don't even know that Mitch is going to be the starting quarterback week three. So he's going to be in the biggest test in his NFL career and fighting off a veteran and Nick Foles. I think it's going to be tough for him, man. Mitch is – he's going to have to improve. If he doesn't, he's going to be out. And his NFL career could be – kind of winding down he might be done before Marcus Mariota's done I don't want that for the guy I see potential you know he could be a really good quarterback but those little dink dunk passes for six seven yards at a time uh, it's not going to get it done you've got to be able to trust your quarterback to air the ball out and they didn't do a very good job of supplying him with any weapons but to be honest I don't think that the Bears wide receiver core is that bad you know I think that they have some players um, the just just system just isn't set up in a way for them to succeed. Uh, 
Um, and you can blame that on Mitch. You can blame it on coaching staff. Um, something will change. I don't know what that is, but uh, something will definitely change there. Um, I am actually excited about Carolina going seven for seven on defense. Uh, it, it probably isn't good for McCaffrey. You'll probably just see uh, a little bit more of a workload out of him. Um, Bonifin might hope get not. some more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bonifin might see some more carries this year. Um, but Mitch or McCaffrey is going to probably do McCaffrey things and kind of do what he did. Um, so on the offensive side, I do feel bad for him just because they didn't give him one of those weapons. But I think it's going to help a lot on their defensive side of the ball where maybe there's not as much pressure on McCaffrey to have to score every time because hopefully they can find a way to, to actually get some stops this year. And what do you think about um, number one pick Joe Burrow? How do you think his, his rookie year is going to go along with uh, rookie out of Clemson, T. Higgins? There's going to be some growing pains, uh, obviously. Um, to be honest, I see him – having kind of a Kyler Murray year. You know, I think that he has he has some weapons there with Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green, Joe Mixon. He has weapons. If Zach Taylor can get him a system and he can buy into it, uh, he's in a good spot to be able to come in and make an impact and win some games. I, don't, I still think that the Bengals are going to struggle. Um, but I'm excited for Joe Burrow. I think that he's going to have kind of a Kyler Murray year. I don't expect the Bengals to go out and make the playoffs, but they're going to be a good, solid football – they're going to be a much-improved football team. And my favorite team of the draft um, – it's my favorite story of the draft. Uh, they actually did arguably probably the best. Uh, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys. They went and got CeeDee Lamb at 17. Trayvon Diggs from Alabama in the second round. Um, Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma – and the third round, and actually in the fifth round, they picked up a small school quarterback out of James Madison, who is a really solid quarterback. And watch for him in the next coming years as a trade piece out of Dallas. Um, if he, if 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 Dak ends up working out there, if not, then watch for him to take over that job. Uh, but the, my favorite story out of Dallas is that the first round, Jerry Jones told all the scouts to leave him alone. All of the scouting profiles, all the people who work for the Cowboys said, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. Leave me alone today. This is my decision. This is my toy. I'm running it. I paid the money. Don't call me. Well, and at the end of the day, that's what he did, and that's what he's going to do. That's that's Jerry football. Uh, that's, I saw that's, uh, Lincoln, that's, Lincoln Rally put out the, uh, the Dallas Sooners because as, as many OU players they pick, so many Oklahoma people uh, going to Jerry there in Dallas. So I think it's – Mike McCarthy's going to – he has a plethora of talent available at his disposal down there. And I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. If the Cowboys struggle this year on the offensive side of the ball, you can attribute that to Dak Prescott. The Dak's going to have to mature and develop into a football guy role. He's going to have to develop into that man. He's, want, he's, getting, all, he's wanting the money. He's getting the money more than likely. Dak's going to have to play better. Something else from this, Dallas is kind of going, you know, we're wanting to win now. We're, we're, we're setting Dak up. We're setting our offense up where we want to win because C.D. Lamb's rookie contract is only going to be there for so long, and they've got a lot of money and three players. So they are going to have to spread the money around somewhere uh, to be able to keep all these weapons that they have. Well, like I said, Josh, this is, this is Jerry Jones' toy. 
And Jerry Jones isn't going to be around forever. So like you said, this is win now because we're not sure if how many more seasons Jerry Jones is going to be at the helm. And that's a good point. And you definitely saw that whenever he uh, got Jason Garrett out of there because, you know, that was his guy. And being able to make those moves, he's tired of losing and he wants to win before he's done. And talking about quarterbacks that are that are getting done, uh, you can look over at Jameis Winston. Uh, big talks of him going uh, down to New Orleans. Uh, he's not going to have to steal any crab legs. He can go down there and get some crawfish anytime he wants in, uh, in New Orleans. So uh, that's something to watch for in the coming days. That, that contract's not final, I don't think. Uh, New Orleans did sign Jason Taysom Hill to a to that contract extension. It was basically a one-year extension uh, with that second year. I think it's an option uh, from how that contract's worked out. But it I'm actually very excited about this move. How did you feel about it? Uh, yeah, Josh, we talked about it uh, when it happened. I, we're excited to, poten- to potentially see a three-quarterback system down there in, in New Orleans. Um, you know, in the case of putting Michael Thomas and, and uh, Taysom Hill on the slot and telling them to run a go route, you know, running either Jameis or Drew Brees under center and telling them to, you know, run back there and throw it up, preferably Jameis because he's got the better arm. Um, you know, just that potential to see those type of plays. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun down there in New Orleans. I'm sure Sean Payton's already scheming up some plays for Jameis. Um, I can't wait for it. I'm ready to see some wildcat plays with Taysom Hill running around, giving the ball back to Jameis, Jameis to Taysom. Throwing it to Drew Brees. And then Drew Brees throwing it to Michael Thomas for a touchdown. There, There's so many things that this offense is able to do. And Sean Payton is one of the more creative coaches in the NFL. So I'm super excited. Uh, Jameis with his eye surgery gets to go down, uh, hopefully, and learn under one of the all-time great quarterbacks in Drew Brees. I actually heard – or I saw – I think it was a Schefter tweet uh, that Jameis turned down an even more lucrative deal, uh, a bigger contract – to go learn under Drew Brees and Sean Payton. So if that's the case, look for him uh, next year um, or the year after to be able to start taking over more of a, a big time role in the offense. But yeah, I man. think that I don't think you bring Jameis in to not take over after Drew Brees. I've said it repeatedly. Yeah. I don't think Taysom Hill's the guy. I think Jameis is what Sean Payton is wanting to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe Drew Brees can uh, teach him where the linebackers stand. <laughs> yeah, somebody needs to. And we're back for game four tonight of the 2016 NBA Finals. Uh, this is one of the pivotal games of NBA history. I mean, the, the Warriors have gone up 3-1. Uh, this is obviously the game before. The flagrant that got Draymond suspended and changed NBA history. Um, Kyrie Irving and Curry were absolutely electric in this game. So fun, the back and forth, the entire game. Um, starting right from the tip, it was clear. Um, even LeBron, it was Kyrie's night. He was feeling it. Uh, I think LeBron had two shots in the first quarter, but his ability, Kyrie's ability to hit those circus layups where you're not even sure if he glanced at the basket within when he crossed, even by the time he's crossed half court. I don't think we've seen somebody do that since Michael Jordan. Yeah, it was so much. The first quarter was so much fun to watch. Kyrie, uh, obviously, with with seven right there in that quarter, uh, and he played the – Second fewest minutes of all starters at nine and a half minutes. Uh, And it was a battle at the beginning. You know, they were just going back and forth, uh, shot to shot. It was honestly so much fun to watch. But I'm going to admit something here. 
when I started watching this game, I forgot that this was the one. I don't know what I was thinking. I knew they went up 3-1. But somehow, for some reason, I had in my head that Cleveland wins this game. And so I'm getting into the fourth quarter, halfway through the fourth. You know, the games go back and forth. Then Golden State starts to open up a 10-point lead. And I'm like, well, there's only like three minutes left. So I must have missed one of the greatest comebacks. And then uh, Golden State just finishes the game out, steps on the throat. And I was I was left in awe for a little bit. So it was it was actually like a live sporting game for me tonight because I I <laughs> thought I knew the outcome, but I was – hundred percent wrong yeah that was actually an idea that uh pardon my take had a a while back you know let's i think it was for during the football during the non-football season we can put on an old football game and then bet on it because none of us know the result that would have been a that would have been a good idea for me tonight could have bet on the warriors and won some money off them yeah i i hundred percent would have taken that because i thought that this was the Cavs, the Cavs win going into it so it, it was a it was a rude awakening for me, but the game was super entertaining. Uh, it was great basketball back and forth all night, uh, even though the Cavs uh, came out short, come up short. Uh, w- let's go ahead and get into our awards uh, now that we know I'm an idiot and uh, the Warriors did win this game. Uh, so let's start with with the blame place. Who? What would you give the blame place to, Fowler? Uh, so it's got to be with Ty Lue. Uh, the thing that's the third game I might have given him my blame place but uh let's go back to last series what gave the Warriors so much trouble with the Thunder were Abaka and Adams out there really messing up everything the Warriors wanted to do and spacing the court and jacking up shots from you know moving the ball getting it inside working it inside out and getting open threes it just wasn't working with the Thunder their ability to close out their ability to stretch um with you know Abaka and with Durant and with Westbrook and, and uh, I'm blanking the the two guards name at the time it was I don't think it was Roberson at the time was it Roberson I think no it was uh, was it Cephalosha Cephalosha at the time and uh, their ability to space the floor and defend all of the shooters for the Warriors that's what gave them fits and for the for Ty Lue not to even try and replicate that um, with three and a half minutes left. Curry easily shakes out of a closeout from Channing Fry. Um, notice no Tristan Thompson on the floor. Hits a three, gets the bang treatment from Mike Breen. Um, and then with a minute left, again, he easily shakes past uh, Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson and hits a crazy shot on Kyrie to essentially close up the game. So, yeah, my blame place, Ty Lue. He hasn't figured it out. Um, and, I don't, and I don't think he could. I mean, like I said, in the Thunder, in the Thunder series – the only thing their their only hope was, hey Steph and Clay, could y'all hit please nine threes a piece, and for Ty Lue not to see that and uh, capitalize on that big blame place for him. Yeah, I would. I that's a good spot for it because I'm I'm looking here trying to pull this up real fast. I'm looking for the minutes. Yeah, so Chang Fry twelve, Miles Golf seven and a half. So the bigs played a lot or they had a big impact in that game uh where the Cavs won against the Warriors they brought in like you talked about we we needed bigs to come in and Ty Lue forgot about it he's like oh I well this worked for me last game but maybe we can try what we did in game one uh and get the win and it it just didn't work he he didn't continue to make adjustments like he needed to down the stretch and it he didn't put his guys in the, in the place to win 
And so I, I'm going to agree with you. That's exactly where my blame place is. And uh, the Cavs played a really good game until right there at the end. And I think a lot of that has to do with personnel and the inability of Ty Lue to get the correct people on the court. So now we can go over to our uh, let's do Trey Young heat check award. So I've, I've got a good one for this. My Trey Young heat check award. Uh, you know, we've talked about it. it could be either way, whether they shot really good or really bad. But tonight, obviously, I don't think there's uh, any, anyone else who can get it. It's got to be Steph Curry. Uh, Steph Curry, six for 13 from three. Obviously, he was throwing himself. He was chunking him up like crazy. He had so many shots, uh, right under 50%. Obviously, uh, a pretty good shooting night from three. Steph was in his bag of tricks, and he was feeling it tonight. Man, I love watching Steph and Clay work. Um, in that same sense, I'm going to go ahead and give my Trey Young heat check to Clay Thompson. Um, I could give it to J.R. Smith just because of his poor effort tonight from three, two for eight. But uh, I'm going to give it to Clay Thompson just because of the beauty of his shot and when he's hitting them. Um, it's just so fun to watch. And even going back, it hurts so much to watch. But the Clay game and the, and you know the, the previous series that he had against the Thunder. Josh, those he would pull up from 30 feet with no effort, just a, a seven, eight feet behind the three-point line from the top of the key, pulling up, and it's just bottoms. You know it's bottoms because he's got the Trey Young Heat Check Award. And his shot's so money. We've we've talked about this so many times. His money, his shot is just beautiful. But so I'm I'm keeping a running tally right now. After Draymond Green's 28-point performance, he is 0 for six. He was over four last game. He's over two this game. So he's over six from three. So uh, continue to monitor him for that Trey Young heat check award. Boy, that's that. That's that adrenaline. It gets going, and sometimes you know it wavers. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, well, something before I want to mention real quick before we get into our uh, the the MVP for the game. Uh, there's a moment in this game, and I I just love it because. Kyrie is such a magician with the basketball. The handles that, that Uncle Drew has is, is incredible. Mm -hmm. He had Steph Curry slipping backwards. He hit the step back for the jump shot. Uh, I think it was a two right in front of the three-point line on the, on the right wing. It was one of the most beautiful shots. Just It wasn't crazy turnaround fader. It was just a beautiful basketball move where one of the best guards in Steph Curry got caught slipping and Kyrie hit one right in his face. And I think Josh, that's a great, that's a great, that point is very well made. Um, whether it's that shot or it's even the final shot, of course, that everyone's seen a million times where he hits the step back on Steph Curry, or it's the shot on Christmas Day where he hits the step back on Clay Thompson. His ability to just create the tiniest bit of space to rise up and get his shot off for you not to block it, it's incredible. It is. And, and honestly, I think it's something. What's great about these these final series, watching Clay or watching Steph and Kyrie go back and forth, is both of them are so crafty and can get a shot up with with no space. Because, and there's another part earlier in the game where the ball gets tipped around like four times. The, it almost goes out of bounds. Steph runs down the baseline, catches it in the very bottom of the corner, when just drains one from like a thirty second breakdown. The, the things that these guys are able to do but Kyrie is special with the basketball yeah and talking about tipping the ball up like that for a second 
Um, going back to Dennis Rodman, I, I forgot about this point earlier. At the beginning of the episodes tonight, they showed like a, a probably a two or three minute montage of him literally tipping the ball in the air five, six, seven times in a row and out jumping everyone six, seven times in a row to keep tipping it and finally come down with the ball. To do that to players like Charles Barkley, Hakeem Olajuwon, even Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen in, in the highlights against the Pistons versus the Bulls. It was incredible to see that his work ethic and his leaping abilities, athletic ability, uh, like I said, it's unmatched. Well, I know that LD2K, Chris Manning, and Ronnie and Mike Wang, they put the pogo stick in NBA 2K20 because of Dennis Rodman. That man is is the essential – he's the essence of pogo stick, that badge, being able to just jump over and over and over. It, Dennis Rodman is crazy with what – the amount of work ethic, the amount of hustle he put into the game. Yeah, but Josh, getting back to uh, the game tonight, our uh, your MVP was it was Steph, right? Yeah. So my my MVP is definitely going to go to to Steph Curry. Uh, I, I was quoting the numbers wrong. He was seven for thirteen from three, uh, so he he deserves the heat check award even better. A little bit over fifty percent, eleven for twenty five for the for the game. Uh, ended with 38 points, six assists. Uh, so things are starting to trend up for Steph uh, in, in the series, how he's played. He was quoted after the game saying that, you know, I finally showed up uh, a little bit, so it, it's good to know that I'm I'm playing well, but we've got more work to do. Uh, we're not over yet. Not, that, that mentality uh, might come in handy for these next couple of games. Yeah, his usage percentage tonight was close to 40%. Um, he's definitely got to get the MVP for me, too. You know, close to triple double. I'm sorry, not close to triple double. That was that would have been a Draymond was only a point away, uh, and a LeBron as well. You know, if you wanted to give it, look at the losing team. But uh, you know, Kyrie Irving also had a big night tonight. Uh, but yeah, Steph just really showed out, showed up and showed out, hit some clutch shots, really willed his team to a win. And uh, you know, like I said before, Josh. The Cavs were up five at the half, but uh, Golden State scored 29 points in three of the four quarters, and they made half their threes tonight. So very rarely can you ever beat the Warriors when they're rolling like that. And it would be slanderous for me to say that from right now, after we watch tonight's game, that the Cavs have any chance in this series. No, and, and no one thought that they did whenever everyone was watching this live uh, a few years ago. And it's it just – Great to note the effort put on in the third quarter by the Golden State Warriors. This is something, yeah, this is something that's become magical of the dynasty that was, that is the Golden State Warriors. That third quarter is the most elite basketball that some people have ever seen. Their highest level of offense, the most efficient offense that basketball has ever been played at. Yeah, and their ability to, I mean, legitimately, finish games out and shut teams down in the third quarter and not to take away all confidence going into the fourth is such a, is such a game changer. And they've utilized that uh, more than anyone else in the league. And I think this is where coaches like, like Steve Kerr really excel where uh, in the sense that Phil Jackson did, where they are a player's coach, where they do relate to the players so much, but they, they have control of the team where when there's two minutes left in the game, I'm going to drop a play, and this is what you're going to run. And that's what I think Oklahoma City has lacked. 
and lacked when Kevin Durant was here. You know, it seemed like the play was who is going to take a bad mid-range jumper on, on either side of the court. And, you know, that sense, um, I think that's what, what has really elevated them um, and what elevates the great teams. Great call by you. Steve Kerr is definitely one of the most dynamic coaches. Uh, I, I really enjoy watching him. I'm not a huge uh, Golden State fan per se. Obviously, you have to respect and appreciate the dynasty that is and has been the Golden State Warriors and what they've been able to accomplish. And Steve Kerr is, uh, in my opinion, one of the biggest reasons for that. Look at the team that was built from within. Obviously, they brought Kevin Durant in and the drama behind that. But the team that was grown in Golden State was a really good basketball team. Yeah, and I can't wait to to watch the rest of this series and see how see how it unfolded, see how they ended up, you know, unraveling and ended up with Kevin Durant a couple weeks later. So it'll be really exciting to see that. I can't wait to break down game five. Um, we're trying to get on a couple of guests um, for the breakdown of these games. So if you have someone you want to see on these games, um, Matthew Delavadova, Iman Shumpert, Anybody you'd like to see on these games, tweet them. Tweet, tweet at them, comment on their Instagram posts. Go on Burst Your Bubble Pod. Go on Burst Your Bubble Pod. It'll help a lot. I promise they'll see it. I promise they'll come on. Yeah, what's it going to hurt? Uh, you know, just reaching out to them and telling them, hey, go on Burst Your Bubble Pod. That's all you have to do. It takes 30 seconds out of your day, and it'll give you a better guest to listen to a great interview to break down one of these games. You know you would want to hear that on the show, so let's make it happen. Well, Kyler, I'm going to uh, in the next couple of days of my lunch break. I'm going to get out to the golf course and I'm going to I'm going to shoot you and Max both a uh, a couple of videos of my golf swing off the tee box. That way you can start start critiquing me and uh, look forward to breaking down the next the next finals game and Jordan Doc next week. I'll tell you what, Josh. By the time we get the sports back, we're going to have you out there shooting shooting pretty close to par. I'm just trying to get my handicap to be pretty good before uh, before I start playing actual golf again. Yeah, we got to get pretty good before uh, before we get those foursome set up. A couple of alternate shot, best ball, we can do whatever, for play rigs. Let me know. Looking forward to it. Well, hey, man, this has been a, another good episode. Yep, see you later, buddy. See ya.